I'm Michael. I'm a small business owner. I'm an investor. I'm a work in process uh, improv artist. I'm a TV host and I'm your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It's a Dweebs Global Production where you can get free mentorship help, uh, mental health help, uh, pretty much anything you need for free. So it's called dweebs, dweebsglobal.org. I'm here today with Daisy Papp. Am I saying your last name correctly? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Daisy has a whirlwind of scenes ranging from being tra a trained Olympian. She's ridden horses in dressage, which I'd never heard of before right now. Uh, she was a signed singer at e EMI Records, an established artist with showings around the world, an international excellence coach. Uh, unfortunately, you've had some definitely some hardships throughout life. Um, but you've come out the other side smiling in every photo I see of you. So uh, it seems like you've, you've found a way uh, through life and, and the best of it. So, and thank you for being here today. Well, thank you, Michael, for inviting me. Thank you so much for your time. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak about how to offer even more help for free to the many people and all your listeners out there. And uh, being an example and leading by example. And yes, there is a way through the tunnel. And then there is another side on the other end of the tunnel. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people need to hear that because mm -hmm. uh, especially right now with COVID, I'm sure yeah. people are, are deep in the middle of that dark tunnel. So, yes, I'm, I feel very sorry for, for all humans here because it's really a global impact. And uh, I do believe that it's very important that we cheer them up and just help them understand that, um, that there is, there is a tomorrow, mm. even when it sometimes feels that there is no. Right, right. I've had to, I've dealt with mental health issues my entire life. My, my brother passed away from mental health issues. So I'm a, I'm well aware of it. And I know I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, yeah. We've all had our hardships, but it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's growing, it's learning, it's, mm -hmm. it's figuring out how to get through it and, and uh, find pleasure in the next activity. Yeah. So you, you definitely have an accent. Where are you from? I'm I'm originally from Germany, but I'm a chosen Floridian. So, so I replanted myself, let's put it this way. And um, yes, I was born and raised in Germany. My mom was German. My father was Hungarian. And uh, I very feel like I have Hungarian sides within me and I have German sides within me. But also I have some international sides because of all the different spaces and spots and countries and continents I've visited and lived on. Got you. How long have you been in Florida for? Or 12 and a half, yeah, 12 and a half years. Okay. That, call it home at that point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Especially where, where, here. Where else have you called home in the world? Well, Germany, of course, because I was, that's when, where I was born and raised. Hungary. I almost moved to Australia, to Brisbane. And then I last minute, I just stepped back because of all these animals and the Australians have this cute little way of scaring <laughs> their friends away by, oh, they, they have the, the drop bears that fall off the trees, which is not true. And I had to learn that. But, you know, it's kind of scarier when you go to the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful beaches there. And then you see these signs, do not step in the water because the stingfish or not stingfish how do you call those jellyfish. jellyfish yes the jellyfish are poisonous and it's life-threatening and so that was not very inviting and I thought to myself well I really like the, the country I like the people I love the culture 
and their attitude. And nevertheless, it was a little bit too naturally endangering. So I thought, okay, so, well, let's go the other way. And that's okay. why I ended up here. <laughs> you figure the Florida alligators aren't as fast as, as what would get you in Australia? You can... <laughs> well, I'm not living in the Everglades. Okay. <laughs> so we do have alligators sometimes here, but, um, but not on, on this particular island where I'm on. Okay. Yeah, my player, my parents are in Florida and I know I've seen alligators on their golf course. So yes, yes, you better watch out which ball you pick before you pick it up. Right. <laughs> they seem to keep to themselves for the most part, but uh <laughs> stay wary. Yeah. Um, so when you grew up, you were trained as an Olympian. What was the story behind that? Well, so I fell in love with horses very early on and especially after my father passed when I was eight and it took me a while to convince my mom to allow me to get closer and closer to the horses and then I grew up and horses were my best friends during my teenage years and I always loved dressage which is not the show jumping but it's like you probably have seen it when people sit there in a nice suit and on the horse and with a cylinder head and mm -hmm. then they kind of make the horse dance so that's the category of dressage and I really very much like that and I was so excited about it and I, that was my dream I wanted to ride the Olympics for for my country actually not for my country because I was born and raised in Germany but for my father's country because losing him made big gap it created a big gap in the family life and also the visits to Hungary and the culture and so forth so after school I went there to study and then I went to the national stables and I was accepted there to be trained as a dressage horseback rider and my goal was riding the Olympics and then in the meantime I did some some horse races as well so the trotting horses you know where you sit in a sulky and that was very exciting so horses were the love of my life is, is sulky is that a type of saddle or is that just what you call No, the it? sulky is i don't know if you've seen it it's it's like the trotting horses so they they are it's not the gallop horse where the jockey sits on top of the horse like the kentucky derby or something like that but it's where uh, it's almost like a tiny carriage but it only has two wheels and the jockey is sitting in that sulky with their legs to the left and to the right and in between almost are walking the rear legs of the horse and then you're just it's so fast and it's fascinating and I just really really loved it so my dream was yes I'm going to ride the Olympics okay. one day with one of the wonderful beautiful talented horses how do they learn to to walk or to dance in that sort of way um well actually dressage is meant to enhance the naturally existing ways of movements from horses so when you look horses in the wilderness when you look at at horses where they court one another or where they play or when they escape or so in dressage when you look at the olympic court what you see them do they do everything on command or on demand however you want to say it both i think it's true but these are all natural behavioral motions and movements of the horse. But you want them to do it at the right time in the purposeful way. And of course, as precise as possible. 
How fascinating. Do you get a chance to do that at all anymore or at least ride horses? So, well, here in South Florida, where I live particularly, we do not have horses because it's tiny island life. Um, we have on the mainland, there are some horses. At times I go and visit. I nevertheless don't feel it so attractive because we have the endless summer. That is what Florida, South Florida is famous for. Mm -hmm. And it is a struggle for the horses. But after I gave up on that dream, or actually the dream popped back then uh, at younger ages, that it, then after that I owned horses and I trained them and I rode them and they were wonderful, wonderful times. So what led you to stop uh, with the dressage? Well, it was a tragical accident, actually, that happened not to me, but almost to me, but was shocking to me. So it was uh, in December that my mother called me up and she mentioned to me, Daisy, sit on a plane and come home. I was in Budapest studying and riding the horses and being trained there. And then I was called back to Germany and uh, we were supposed to fly out to Geneva the very next day with my brother, my godfather and my mom. And I was all excited because Geneva in the winter is quite pretty and it's nice to walk there around the lake and Switzerland with the hot, hot chocolate that they serve and the chocolate overall and the cheeses. So who would not want to? Actually, I was very ready to go. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, my mom turns around and she says, you know, it's too stressful. I don't believe it's a good idea. You come stay here. And you know what? One day I'm going to hang the family business on a nail that she said that in Germany, meaning in English that I'm going to hang my gloves or I'm throwing the towel. She took over my father's company after he passed uh, in 77 and she quite successfully grew that company and she at times was overwhelmed with that and I do believe that she just mentioned okay so I'm going to to just give up on the family company but in German language you would say I hang it on a nail okay okay and two days later I receive a call on my brother's phone line at home where a man was asking me if I was alone and that I found quite weird because when you're alone at home at 17 then and somebody asks you, then what do they want? Right, right. And then I said, yes, I am, because I was honest and naive. So two hours later, they call me again when I was not alone anymore. And then they asked me, are you alone? And I say, no. And they said, well, I have to tell you, the plane crashed shortly after takeoff in Geneva. And that made me an orphan overnight and I was 17 and um, well I had not the opportunity and possibility to continue my studies in Hungary. Got you. I'm so sorry um, that must have been incredibly hard to get through. At that time the shock was so big that I did not think. It's it, it's like okay so what do we do next? And then what I did, I, I did the very, the things that I was told to do, call the dentist and get the x-rays to identify and, and then drive to Geneva. I had to have a driver at the time. I did not have a driver's license at 17. Somebody had to drive me there to Geneva and then the German embassy, um, they welcomed me and then they brought me to the morgue and uh, 
you know, to, to the wreck in the hangar. Oh, wow. So it was, and you just function, or at the time, I don't know how other people handle it. I just functioned because I, did I have another choice? I did not know if I had. Right. Today, I probably would do it a little bit differently. But in, in these moments, I don't think that we have really access to the creative parts and pieces in our, in our brains. And in addition to that, being 17 years old and quite not experienced enough. Right. Just on, on an autopilot that um, you yes. have control over. Yes, I agree. I agree. How long did it take you to really get a grasp on life again? And Well, that did not happen overnight and it did not happen over a period of time either. I do believe it rather happened over steps, step by step, so that you get on a new plane and not the physical plane, but like level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what, uh, what happened to me afterwards is that a few years later, my body gave up on me and I became very sick and ill and nobody really knew what was the problem. And uh, organically, so my organs were fine. My blood test was fine. There was nothing to be found, but I was losing weight and I was like 90 pounds, like skin and bones. And it was not healthy. I couldn't eat. I couldn't stand. I couldn't even stand straight up. I couldn't drive the car. And that was really concerning. Mm -hmm. And actually, I had a very nice girlfriend at the time, very dear lady. She was much older. She could have been my mother. And probably that is what I was looking for in her, like a substitute kind of attachment or, or relation. Right. And she mentioned to me, Daisy, I heard of a doctor. She might be able to help you. So I made an appointment. My girlfriend drove me there. And I crawled almost up the stairs because it was really difficult for me to walk straight. And uh, I'm sitting there in the doctor's office and the doctor does something to me while she's doing whatever she's doing. And for the first time since the plane crash, I felt kind of better. And I said, I didn't know that it's possible to feel better at all. Because you see, sometimes when when we feel so desperate and we feel so burdened and so the, the heaviness of everything is on our shoulders and it might feel that will it ever go away? You don't even think or hope for that anymore. But yes, trust me, yes, it can go away. And yes, things do get better. So listeners out there, please don't feel too, too attached now or, or impressed by, by the story that I'm telling because it's many, many years ago and I'm over it. And so the doctor's lady, she says to me, well, I just did a little NLP with you. And I said, so what's NLP? And she said, neuro-linguistic programming, which is about how the brain works and how the body-mind inevitable connection has an impact and how we can have an impact so we feel better and we think better and so forth. And I said, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to study just that. And a few weeks later, I found myself in class and two years later, I became a master practitioner in NLP, which was very, very joyful. It's really, it, it opened my, my horizon that things can feel better. And the pictures that I had of the past, the traumatic parts and pieces of the past can change, they can shift and things can become easier and I can feel better and I can have a purpose in life. And so I was quite fascinated by that. And um, then I got some results. I, I tried 
NLP on everyone, everything that was moving. I couldn't do it with the cat because she wouldn't respond and the horses didn't respond either to, to NLP back then. But I, I wanted to share it because I was so excited that, yes, it's possible and you can release stress and, hey, you don't want to feel this one once, just for once, just try it and you will be kind of, of hooked because it's so fascinating. What did she exactly do to you at that moment? She was she was speaking to me, so it was an auditive okay. experience. Nevertheless, so she asked me, okay, so that picture that you have that makes you so tremendously sad, how big is it? Is it color black and white? Is it moving? Is it a still? And then we changed that picture that made me so tremendously sad. So all of a sudden, when I remembered the memory, I had a different picture and therefore did not need to feel that tremendous sadness. And my emotions were kind of shifted, lasting. Interesting. So I'm guessing a lot of people that suffer from like ruminations, maybe, where they just are thinking about something from the past over and over again, you can reframe that or repeat what they're... Very well said, reframing, because there's one one of the techniques in NLP, the six-step reframing. Very good. You're smart. Good. Right. <laughs> Very good. Sometimes words come easy. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah. That's natural. No, but um, that's, that's fascinating. And I definitely want to hear more about it. Because um, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to do. And hearing that you could reframe an incident like the one you went through. Uh, Absolutely. But then with NLP, what happened that sometimes I got really great results and sometimes not so much. And I thought this cannot be. So I need to expand this and I need to learn more. So I'm like a little knowledge vacuum. I just went out there and (laughs) tried to pick really the goodies. And I was very selective about what I wanted to learn. So I I knew I don't want to be a psychologist. I knew I don't want to be a psychotherapist because there's so many limitations regarding what you can do and what you're not supposed to do and how to do it and how not to do. So I wanted to keep that freedom. But I studied with some wonderful, wonderful, impressive humans in that field. And I was able to then fast forward in 2008, create my own little mixture, which is called self-recoding. Okay. Uh, so is NLP something you, you, you take enough classes and you become uh, certified in it? Or yes, yes, absolutely. You can, you can, be, you can become a, a practitioner and then you can become a master practitioner. You can also become a trainer, which I never wanted to do because it was so exciting to learn other things as well. And there, there are many modalities that I, that I then later on combined into self-recoding. And oh, that what is are, what I'm serving humans around the globe over video calls since 10 years. Really? Yeah. Have you always been doing it through video call? No, not always, because I had an office on Miami Beach, infamous or famous Miami Beach, and I saw people there in person, and I have done house visits at that time. But it is very interesting because many of my clients are really from around the globe, and I'm not that important yet that they would fly in for a session with me. Okay. Uh, What else have you combined with NLP? Many tapping modalities, so because there are 
different tapping modalities, different approaches, like EFT or 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 TFT. Then what, I combine. Hmm? What do these stand for? I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yes. Right. Of course. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. No <laughs> TFT stands for thought field therapy. And it is very interesting. Uh, Roger Callahan came up with that. He was a a psychologist and he had uh, clients that were traumatized or had phobias and they really got stuck. So he did not make any progress in the therapy with them until one of his clients said, yeah, but you know, I feel it in my stomach. And he was learning traditional Chinese medicine at the time. I mean, Dr. Roger Callahan. And he thought, ah, okay. So here at the cheekbone, there's a point, an acupuncture point that is related to the stomach meridian. So he, he asked his patient to massage this point here under the cheeks and so she did and she got up and her phobia was gone and he said wait don't don't do that don't do that and she turned around charmingly and she said doctor i'm not being stupid only because my fear is gone and that was quite revolutionary so that is when when it was a big breakthrough when then people in the field realized that aha so the body-mind connection, also that that NLP already addressed quite directly. There is a way that we can use acupuncture points and stimulate them with our fingers and release specific responses, automatic responses in the body that are linked to specific events and therefore the event can, in the memory, heal, so to say. Okay. How have, you been, how have you been able to carry this on with, with video? I guess that makes that a lot more difficult. Oh, very simple. You want to try? Sure. Well, so what would you like to do? Do you have any? Let me just do. Okay, so here's what I'd like you to do. I even do it over the phone. So I tell you, take your two fingers, no matter if you're left-handed, right-handed. Okay. Okay, and then you just tap between your eyebrows. Tap, 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 tap. And just notice how it feels. And then here at the temple beside your eyes, tap, 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 tap. And then here at your cheekbone, tap, 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 tap. And then you can tap here under your lips above the chin, for example. And then you can tap here around your collarbone. And then you can tap here at your karate chop if you wanted to. That's right. And then you just grab your wrist. You can take a deep breath. And just blow it all away. That would be, for example, one round of tapping. Okay. Now, in the meantime, had you thought of something very tragic that happened, then in the meantime, then pictures can change in the memory and your emotional approach towards specific memories from the past or future ones, because some people are scared of the future, right? Mm-hmm. So we can we can very mm, have a different approach quite in a short time it's very exciting so you can do that over video so i'm not doing it on you you do it on yourself got you got you okay that makes a lot of sense so that's the self so that's your self-recoding so this is the company that you started and um and you're helping people all around the world with it um yes i do like you could you could tell how much joy it brings you too so oh i'm passionate like it's it's like oxygen for me it's like 
the, it's like a nice elixir. It's, it's I, infectious. I really... so you, you can feel it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You did, Thank you. Definitely feel a good vibe. Um, so I know you've also you've also been a singer. Correct? Yes, yes. And not only in the bathtub <laughs> or in the shower. <laughs> Thank God that's where I keep my singing. People, oh, yes. People don't want to hear my singing. Well, let me tell you, some bathrooms have really great acoustic. It's not that bad. Depends on the bathroom. So, <laughs> yes, I was a singer and I was um, a singer songwriter signed with EMI Music. And uh, that was quite exciting. I wrote my first song when I was eight years old, when my father passed. And I did not know as an eight-year-old how to express grief. I probably didn't even know what grief was besides how it felt. And, um, and I always loved music. I was born into a musical family my, on my mother's side. There were many musicians and, and my grandmother was an opera singer. So classical music and music at all was a very important part of my life. And so I wrote my first song and my mom, she was so amazed by that. And she said, she's, she's a super talent. She needs to get her own organ or her own piano, whatever she tried to support me. And she signed me up for piano lessons. That did not went the way she expected it to because I, she brought me there, dropped me off. I was like nine years old at the time. And the teacher says, okay, so this is what we're going to do. And I turned to him and I said, I don't want to learn that. He said, so why are you here then? I said, I'd only like you to teach me how to move my fingers so I can express what's in my heart. That I said as a nine-year-old. So he was just like, wow, you never heard something. Yeah, what nine-year-old says this? <laughs> I think it never happened to him again, not before and not after. And he was quite impressed, called my mother that this was not a good fit to teach me the piano, but maybe to get me some something to play on, because at that time we did not have a piano at the house. And uh, that was quite wonderful. And I played and I composed and I just, it was just, I was able to connect in my thoughts to my father on a level that I could have never, ever been able expressing through words, right? It, it would have impossible, would have been impossible. So I kept continuing writing music, not knowing that I was composing. I just played what I felt. And then fast forward, I was composing songs. I was, I was writing songs and they had lyrics and it was was lovely to play them and all I did I played them for myself and sometimes hours long and I played them for my son and not really for friends or other adults around me because I, I the stage fright was overwhelming but then I had a friend who is a is a pianist and he got all kind of prizes from the conservatorium and so he's very established classical pianist but also plays jazz and he played in the Kempinski hotel in Budapest in the evenings and I just love piano music. And so I visited quite often. And then sometimes I listened even longer until the last guests were gone. And I'm sitting there and I asked, hey, you know, all the guests are come, can I play? And he said, yeah, sure, let's play. And then I played something and I even sung a little bit. And then a woman walks up to me with tears in her eyes and he says, you have more of this? I said, yeah, sure. She says, what was it? I said, I, I did it, I created it. 
humbly. And then she gives me a business card. And then I found out the next day, I didn't even pay attention because it was the end of the evening. And I was all with my keys, the black and white, ebony and ivory of the piano. And the next morning I look at the business card and she was the CEO of a music company. And that was the beginning of the end of not having other people listen to my music. So we, we released two albums together. One is where I'm playing the piano and sing to it partially, and some pieces are, are piano only, acoustic. And the second one is more like a jazzy, I would say. It's a little bit like Diana Krall style, but I'm not playing like her, so not, not that somebody would think that I, I'm nearly, no, but I can write some nice songs and write beautiful lyrics to it. Hmm. Um, what, are the, what are the topics of your songs sometimes? I do believe that we can say the majority that's the common denominator is life lessons and how to handle them. So for example, there's one, one song I wrote, it's a brand new life begins for you. And I think that's quite the title already says it all. So no matter where you are, you know, pick yourself up and have a look and, and a brand new life begins when you choose to. So when you look at my work, or the books that I published that are self-development books, and you look at the work I do as an excellence coach and you listen to my music, you know it's the same message. It's absolutely in alignment. Okay. Sounds like throughout your, throughout your life, you've really carried on the same message and pretty much enhanced it as you've gone. Yes. Yes. And no matter in which kind of language we're expressing it, right, acoustically or, or I have you touch your forehead and some more points that are acupuncture points uh, and then you feel better. So all I always wanted is to make this world a better place romantically and and truly sophistically as well. So that showing ways that it's doable and some of my clients, they receive a weekend seminar in a session because I'm, I'm not a fan of expanding something. Do you remember when we were children and we had a chewing gum and we were just, and then you pulled out your chewing gum and how long you will be able to pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it, pull it before it snapped. So I have the feeling that some seminars and workshops are just like that, that they just try to stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it until it snaps. But the problem I see, it doesn't snap at the right time and not in the right person. So I just like, it's condensed. And if you don't get it and we can discuss it five times, but I'm going to give it to you. And then let's discuss what you understood. And then let's explore how you can make the best out of it and what you can do. And then you learn the skills, how to use these tools that you're learning. And that is when change really happens. <laughs> I'm very passionate about that. I know. <laughs> you definitely are. And I, I, I believe that people watching this, listening to this are, are, are going to, they're going to feel it and they're going to, they're going to know that there is, there is hope and there's, there's definitely ways to go. About. Oh yeah. Do not ever believe that you're alone out there. Never, ever, ever believe that you're alone out there. And when you think that, yes, can things get worse? Yes, possibly. But start asking yourself, what if it goes right this time? Because we humans have the tendency, we are so biased to the negative Stop doing it. Turn it around. Ask better questions. What if it will work out? What 
if I'm going to succeed? What if I'm feeling better in two minutes? Instead of, okay, what if I'm going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and then I'm getting up and then... That's so much easier though. No, it's not easier. <laughs> no, it's, it's easier. not easier. It's, it's easier to... <laughs> no, you know what it is? It is we are conditioned as if that was easier okay. because it's a trap. Long term, it's horrible. That's true. That's true. It's very so ask yourself, what if things go right? What if the world is turning out to be a better place now? It's possible. I'm living, I'm living proof, trust me. I could be. I could be a drug addict. I could be suicidal. I could have been dead long. I could be an alcoholic. I could be uh, crazy. I could be insane based on the many tragedies that happened in my life. And I'm not. And if I can do it, come on, you can do it too. And if you don't know how to do it, then there's so much, so much wisdom and knowledge available for free out there. And you are one who is really spreading that. You're supporting that. You as a business owner, you as an in investor, and you as, as a lover for the arts hmm? and, and a patron of all of it. It is possible. And let's find more surfaces where we can just spread that so that people can find, yeah, hey, you know what? I heard there's someone talking about Michael and Daisy and I don't know what they said, but they said there's hope and this is not blah, 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 hope. No, this is not the carrot in front of the donkey. And then, you know, the sad things is, is the sad pictures. The donkey is always thinking it's getting closer to the carrot, but the distance never changes. No, 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 no. When you change the way you think, when you change to ask better questions, when you change the pictures in your mind, and when you take an inventory, what's in there, because you are here right now, you're the subtotal of everything you've experienced, believed, gave meaning to, hmm? and that's changeable. Keep the good, let the bad go, and put some new powerful skills in there, and then really, be persistent with that and ask, what if, what if I can be happy again? What if? And then imagine you see that question already inspires you to make a different picture in your mind. Your body is going to respond to these pictures. Therefore, you will feel better. Got you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> My uh, joy. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you about, I know you actually create art as well. And I was, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, we, apparently you put nails in everything. And I want to know why, <laughs> why you put nails in everything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yes. So when I mention <clears throat> to people, yes, I, I love uh, nail art. And then they look at my manicure and they say, so she's a nail artist. Mm. So <laughs> and it's not really artistically. <laughs> the manicure but <laughs> i i really like steel nails okay. <laughs> and i i did not have an idea why i really really started liking steel nails a lot big nails small <laughs> nails i don't have any piece of art around me here but uh, maybe we can link it below yeah. where people can see some some artwork so what i do i, I make portraits for example of celebrities something like audrey hepburn She's, she's a dear, graceful icon, I believe, of the last century. And so I make a beautiful uh, uh, I, um, a portrait of her. And then what I do, I take 
nails and I make eyelashes. And I did that since 2009 is the first eyelash portrait I made. That was almost before that fake eyelash, you know, kind of movement started on, on the faces, living faces of women nowadays. And then I bend these nails and it gives the portrait such an eye-opening. It's You see that something's there. And of course, from the side, you see the nails sticking out. But I have some pieces that are 100 pounds heavy, big nails, like seven-inch nails. And then um, I have one piece that's 1,281 nails. And the reason why I like nails, I didn't know why until one day it dawned on me, the very first nail painting that I created about 20, 21 years ago, I think it was 21, 20 years for sure. Um, it, it's still hanging in my living room close to the piano. And one day I'm playing the piano looking at that painting and I, it dawned on me why I like nails. Why is that? Because the last sentence of my mother was one day I'm going to hang the family business on a nail. Wow. And I and I became the nail at 17. And I make beauty and honor her last words with these nail paintings. And, did. Yeah, that's... and every single piece of art has a very deep meaning. So it's not only that it's like abstract and then, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder to figure out what it could be or what could it not be. So actually what's in in the self-recoding and what's in my music and the songs is also in the art. It is, it's one alignment, it's what, a different language. Right. And how I express the same message. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate everything you shared and how open you've been. Um, anyone that wants, that needs more information, please visit daisypap.com. That's D-A-I-S-Y-P-A-P-P.com or um, selfcoding.com. No, self-recoding, re. Self-recoding, sorry. <laughs> oh, you're not the only one. It's very, it's very difficult. You know, the sound engineers, everyone in music, they think it's self-recording because <laughs> they're all about recording, recording. No, it's self-recoding. And then you also have a podcast, baldandblonde.live. That's right. Yes, and we are very much doing what you do we give away for free a lot of wisdom and knowledge and tools and skills we'll keep doing it we'll keep yes doing it. i know i'm with you on this thank you so much michael i truly appreciate thank you no thank you seriously and everyone else out there please daisypep.com and also if you need free mentorship help help resume writing or really anything we have we have mentors from around the world ready to help over 500 of them it's dweebsglobal.org so that is also why we're here today. So please, dweebsglobal.org. And yes. thank, you. thank you, Daisy. Thank you, Michael. And I wish you all the very best. And I wish every single ear who listens to your podcast the same. I wish them the very best. I appreciate that.